Welcome to the new RPS Pharmacine podcast, where we interview interesting people from the world of pharmacy and beyond. And we want to hear from you. Head to the RPS Twitter and hashtag RPS Pharmacine to have your say on who we should invite to the show and what you would like to ask our guests. Now, please welcome your hosts. Hello and welcome to the RPS Pharmacine podcast. My name is Oman Dahl and I'm the Head of Professional Belonging here at the RPS Today, we've got a very special episode of the podcast focusing on inclusion and diversity. I've got two guests with me today, Mike Maguire, a member of the RPS English Pharmacy Board, and Fazana Hack, a pharmacist in Scotland. And they formed an allyship pair following on from one of our allyship workshops. Allyship is about building relationships of trust and getting an understanding of a marginalised individual or a group and their experiences. And although you might not be a member of that group or of that underinvested group, you can always support them and make the effort to understand their experience, to use your voice and privilege and power, along with theirs, to raise awareness on issues that they are facing and the challenges that they're facing to support change. So that's what allyship is, and that's taken from the NHS England website definition. Welcome both of our fantastic speakers today. Mike, did you want to just say hello and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's Mike Maguire. I'm a community pharmacist by background, and I currently have a role with NHS England as local professional network chair. Hello, I'm Farzana Hack. I'm a practice pharmacist um, directly employed by GPs in a practice in Fife, Scotland. I've got background in community hospital and NHS 24. My first question to you both is what is an allyship and what does it mean to you and why did you get involved in this partnership? One of the first things I realised was that the exact definition of allyship completely differs between organisations. So I really had to find out what did it mean to me in the context of a pharmacist because it was introduced to me in our profession. So from what I gathered in the, the RPS webinar was pharmacists are being encouraged to be allies to each other, especially those who may be underrepresented, a female or a disabled colleague or someone from the LBGT community um, or a colleague from a, a BAME background. So I'm a female from an Asian background um, um, and I also have a non-visible disability so I've always wanted to succeed on my own merit but having joined the webinar I thought there'd be quite a good process to be involved in so I got involved uh, because of the RPS allyship webinar during the webinar a few of us were using the chat function um, to discuss how would you go about forming an allyship and I had said that if someone had asked me I would be quite happy to form one and, and Mike was also part of the, the webinar and he said, well, he would be quite happy to form an allyship with me. And so we we kind of just fell into it mm-hmm. um, and we kind of knew each other from the RPS board elections. Um, so it was quite easy for us to form a, a partnership and, and take it from there. I think to me, my perspective is allyship is about proactively putting yourself in a position where you can help and support someone who is unfairly disadvantaged for whatever reason. And I suppose I got into it just because, same reason, I suppose I got into pharmacy. I got into pharmacy because I like helping people, whether that's on an individual community or possibly even population level. And I suppose it was the same with this. It was an opportunity to to help people as maybe as an individual, but also maybe if it works well on a bigger basis. And I sort of fell into it just for the same reason as Fazana was on an RPS webinar. And uh, I was really interested in what was being said. It really struck a chord with me. In some ways, it was quite uncomfortable. And I'm thinking that I really need to do more. And then when the opportunity came to buddy up with Fazana, it seemed like an ideal opportunity to just 
create a sort of safe space where I could talk to someone and and learn learn more about what the issues are. Um, now that you formed that partnership, what were you hoping to get out of that? And how has it changed how you see or do things in practice? Yeah, I, I suppose it was, from my perspective, it was just to deepen my understanding of what the issues were because I've got, I suppose, uh, a general awareness, but really, and the more I spoke to Fazana, I realised how limited my knowledge was. Mm. And it was a really good opportunity to, to learn more and deepen my understanding. And what I wanted to create for both of us was a bit of a, a safe space where we could both explore our thoughts and ideas, and maybe build a relationship so that we had enough trust between us to start challenging our ideas and be a little more creative about what we could do to change the status quo. And I think that's what we started to develop, which is is really pleasing. I think it was worth having an ally who genuinely believes in equality and will speak up for minority colleagues when they are when they feel that they're not being treated equally. Um, I think that it's just too easy to sit back and not challenge others when they are maybe being a bit um, bigoted towards colleagues. So um, and then in an allyship, it's important to understand that the ally might have more privilege than a colleague. And it was important to me that first that the allies understood their own privilege. And I think that's where attending the webinar is really important. It opens you up to a lot of new themes and concepts that you may not be aware of. I think Mike made a real effort to understand, better understand that my, my daily life, you know, my, my life may not be full of, of as many struggles as others, but I've still gone through um, being discriminated against. Um, and that, you know, um, voices like Mike's can be powerful alongside voices like mine. Um, so, yeah, I was just hoping to gain an advocate from the, the partnership. And have you have you changed anything in practice that you do, how you do things? For for me, I think that it's been a positive partnership. And I was a bit wary about how some colleagues may feel about being introduced to white privilege um but actually mike has um we've had a lot of really honest discussions and he's better under um understood the situation and the systemic inequalities and he wants to address them and that's made me a, a little bit more confident about speaking about it to to other colleagues yeah it's massively heightened my awareness of everything going on i mean you, you get obvious examples that are clearly wrong that everyone can see, such as, you know, when the England football team are playing recently, they played away to Hungary and was sort of when Raheem Sterling got the ball, there was monkey chanting and all sorts of things. And that's obvious to everyone. But I think the difference with me is that I've seen it on so many levels and, uh, you know, you just have to look at Twitter and on any particular day, there's just these subtle references and you're thinking, no, that's not right. And then things like in one of the national newspapers, on the one hand, I've got front page headline saying about turn, turn away the migrants, you know, get rid of the migrants, stop them coming in. And on the same page, it's got a fantastic Emma Raducanu, who we can all please that she's done amazingly well in the US Tennis Open winning it. And it's saying our Emma, uh, one of our own, our own Emma's done this, bringing, bringing the trophy back home. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, she's actually a migrant with a, a Chinese mother, a Romanian father, came to England when she was two. So she's just the same as all these other migrants that we're trying to turn away. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so hypocritical. And I think having heard some of Fazana's issues throughout her life, even on a daily basis, it's made me so much more aware 
of everything that's wrong with our society and how hypocritical it is on a daily basis. And that, that's in some ways quite frustrating, but it's also a bit of a kick up the backside to me to think, no, don't be so passive. Don't allow it to carry on. And if there's a time where I can make an intervention and say, hang on a minute, this just isn't right, then speak up about it. Has there been a particular story or insight from the other person that has really shocked you? Yeah, there was one particular story. And I I think in general in society, myself included, it's part of the human condition, uh, blame other people when things don't go right. And there's a, a poem called The Cookie Thief by Valerie Cox that I love reading it and it always makes me smile. So, But uh, I think the problem is, is where the blame culture seems to escalate to whole groups of people, where you get blame without any logic or rationale behind it. And one story that Fazana told me that I was just not just scratching my head, it made me really angry that on one occasion she was blamed for what happened with 9-11. Uh, just because of the colour of her skin or the way she looked. And someone actually followed her home for 20 minutes, abusing her, challenging her, saying all sorts of threatening things to her, which must have been really scary for Fazana. And my heart went out to her. And I'm thinking, really, that would be like someone blaming me because I'm white for what Hitler did. And yet that would be bizarre. No one would ever do that. And you think, well, it would be equally bizarre that Fazana get blamed for 9-11. But the difference is no one's ever come up to me as a white person and said, you're responsible for what Hitler did. And yet it's actually happened to Fazana that someone blamed her for 9-11. And it's just mind-blowing that people would act in that way. And yet I just have a feeling that's not an isolated incident. That sort of thing happens all the time. And when you put it in that sort of context to think, well, that's just the same as me being blamed for what Hitler did. It's just crazy and it's just clearly not right. So that that really struck home when I heard Fazana's story. That incident after 9-11, and I was just a student at university um, and there was nothing that um, about me. I don't wear traditional clothing. I don't cover my head. There was nothing really to... um, point out that I, I I have a Muslim background but this this man followed me um, from my home to university because I was slightly brown and he just identified me as having a South Asian background so he assumed I was Muslim and I think what one of the things I've really tried to put across to people is that Islamophobia is, a, is becoming a real big issue and um, it's something that I'm I find that's really important to educate people on and how it affects everyone not just people who who look Muslim. I think a lot of people don't realise that and certainly that story Mike was saying about the, the media and the migrants and Emma and Danku, I think the migrants are usually Muslim. So I think there's a lot of Islamophobic uh, sentiments there. M- Mike mentioned in our, one of our early discussions about he, he didn't really see colour um, and that's something I challenge quite frequently when people say they're colorblind. I think um, I've, I've been given this a lot more thought. And, you know, the classic classification of people into color wasn't done by people of color. It was done by white people historically. And we've all had to, to live in, in that world, which has become a white supremacy system. Um, and Mike was quite open with me and vice versa. And he didn't and, and he shared when he, he didn't see color. We were able to explore that further and use examples from the RPS webinar, especially where Asha discussed how uh, 
what the difference between white privilege and implicit bias tendencies are. So I think um, when I just put across that people of colour find themselves at a huge disadvantage mm -hmm. and even from people who, see, who think they don't see colour because there's always implicit bias and, and, and we're disadvantaged as a result of that and it's important that people realise that and I think Mike's really got that and, and I, I imagine there must be many more colleagues who, who also think they're colourblind um, but that leads them to not understanding how their being colleagues are discriminated against um, and that we may not have the same opportunities for growth and development in our careers. Possibly my biggest learning, and it was quite interesting, and I think that's something you've got to go into these conversations with a completely open mind and challenge your own perceptions and think, oh, yeah, well, I never really thought of it like that, and that, that was really helpful for me to sort of deepen my understanding of, of that particular issue. So do you have any, like, advice for other members, RPS members listening to this podcast about forming a partnership? I think it's important for RPS members to do their own research and learn about the history of the struggle in which um, they're participating in. Be aware of the oppressive system um, that we're part of and explore how to change these oppressive systems. I would recommend getting involved in the RPS um, IND work that they're currently doing and um, join the inclusion and diversity action groups and um, where, where there's usually really interesting discussions with, with other members. There's a lot of um, webinars and workshops where you can find out about race microaggressions, disability microaggressions, recognising privilege, becoming an ally. Um, and even, you know, there was a, a live stream about... Um, on how the profession can be more LGBTQ inclusive. So, you know, there's a range of uh, webinars that you can really educate yourself on. I've, I've noted that there's a number of books and re reading recommended by the Imperial College of London for being allies in order to do the work and learn how to be a better ally. I think it's quite important that you don't expect to be taught you know, if you want to be an ally, take it upon yourself, use the tools around you to learn and answer your questions. But it's important that both members in the partnership are comfortable around each other and are open and have a level of trust with one another. Do learn how to listen and accept criticism with grace, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think from my perspective, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it is a journey and I'm on a journey with it. And I'm probably not very far down the line, actually. I've got a long, long way to go. But initially... What we're looking for is progress rather than perfection. And the key is just to make a start because you can sometimes get in a mindset where you think, oh, it's, it's complicated. I'd, I'm not very confident in it. I'm scared of saying the wrong thing. And you, you don't make a start. And, and the thing is, it's important that we all make a start. Every single one of us moves one notch further along that journey of actually understanding some of the issues and doing something about them. So I would advise anyone listening just, just to put your foot in the water and take a step forward and, and make a start with it. And don't, and don't be scared of offending the other person. Just, you know, you know you're both in there on a journey, like Mike said, and, and just say what's on your mind. And take it from there because one of the questions i get asked a lot is about the how and how do you how do you make sure you're not offending anyone so how did you both kind of make sure that you had that created that safe space yeah i think as fazana said it's been open to criticism and being open to changing how you think mm. and I, I suppose yeah you, at the very beginning you are very mindful of of not wanting to say the wrong thing because you, you sort of you understand certainly my understanding was very limited to start off with so you almost don't know what the wrong thing to say is apart from obvious things 
So you, you do have to sort of be careful to start off with her own mind. But then as I got to know Fatana better, it's like any relationship, you do build up that trust. And I think as long as you both go into it with the aim of helping the other person you with and being open to new ideas and accepting new ideas. And I think sort of um, have an element of humility and being humble and realising that you're not there, you're not perfect, and we all have something to learn. And I think if you go in with an open and honest attitude, then you do build up that trust in the relationship. And then from there, you can stretch your boundaries a little bit and take things a little bit further. And then you you are sort of more comfortable being more vulnerable. And I think the more vulnerable you are, the more you get out of it, because you can put yourself out there and stretch your boundaries a little bit. And then you learn so much more about yourself as well as the other person, which is is really helpful from both parties. So I think it's a case of just getting in there and building up that trust. I would agree with everything Mike said. And I think as the BAME person, um, I I was made sure that I wasn't feeling too touchy or, or too sensitive about any questions that Mike wanted to ask. Because after all, um, we're, we're, we're trying to learn from each other and take this journey further. So I think I, I, had, I mentioned to Mike really early on, just say what's on your mind. Don't be scared of offending me because I know that's not the place you're coming from. And I know that the more I answer Mike's questions and the more um, we, we go deeper into our discussions, the more valuable it is to the the both of us and I know that I don't need to share anything I don't want to mm-hmm. um, but at the same time there are some stories that I think were really worthwhile sharing with Mike because they really let him see my perspective so yes definitely build that trust within each other and just have that and just keep an open communication line about what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. Finally, how can people hearing this get involved and what actions can they take? So I'm I'm a, currently uh, a mentor on the RPS mentorship uh, platform. And I thought it would be an idea for the RPS to have an allyship platform similar to the, the mentoring platform where members who are looking for an ally and those who are wanting to be an ally can sign up. Um, just like you at the moment you get mentee and mentor um, signups and the platform could then recommend suitable allies based on the, the members criteria because you you could have some who are looking for an LGBT ally and etc etc you know so um, and then the allyship platform could have all the resources listed that members could read up on um, give advice um, on how to get the most from the allyship how to prepare how to manage requests from allies and how to access support from others just very similar to what the mentoring platforms like I really do think it's worth having a couple of webinars throughout the year where current allies share the experiences mm-hmm. or record podcasts like this one and um, because we definitely as a mentor I've joined a couple of the mentoring webinars and where current mentors give advice and I think Mike's joined a couple of them as well and they've been really valuable for those just starting out. Well, thank you very much for sharing your experiences. And it really can, you can tell that, you know, you've got a lot out of it and long may it continue as well. So um, thank you again, both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the new RPS Pharmacy podcast out every other Friday. Don't forget to get involved and have your say using the hashtag RPS Pharmacy. See you in two weeks time.